I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. The Nazis are on the march, and the only one that can stop them is one of those assholes who sticks their gum on things all the time. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time. Touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. The Thai king would be very mad at uh, the Rocketeer. Who is the Thai uh, king? So, uh, the, the king of Thailand. Famously, uh, he was on a, a bus or a subway one day in his, in his, in his country of Thailand. And he... Uh, if I haven't heard he of it, in, I'm going to quibble with famously. He stepped, he, stepped on, uh, he stepped on gum or he put his hand on gum underneath like a seat. And he, then he banned gum from the country. <laughs> Oh, okay. I have not heard that. I honestly thought you might be talking about some, like, local Chicago Thai dealership shop. (laughs) Come on down and meet the Thai king. (laughs) Uh, That definitely seems like a local commercial in the making, Peter. But uh, not by us, because we're really up to watch. A movie podcast, we pick a theme, we do movies over the course of that month around that theme, and if we remember, we compare and contrast, and we're in our second week of Disney back in the action, uh, chronicling Disney's, uh, after their success of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, to make live action action movies for the whole family, chronicling their immediate kind of, I I don't want to say fall, but inability to replicate that success of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and some attempts that were made over the ensuing years before they gave up and just purchased uh, Marvel and Star Wars and stuff. Yeah, um, before they just launched into uh, buying live-action franchises that they knew were sure sure things, as opposed to trying to make their own John Carter's. Yeah, they're kind of like... They're kind of like, I guess, a, a bully in like a elementary school art project who can't do the art project and so eventually just beats up the kid that did it really well and takes it. <laughs> um, They're like, if I get big enough, I can just become uh, – if I get big enough, I can just beat up all the little artists and become the super artist. Yeah. And like, who's going to argue with me? They're so little. Like, I'm never going to – let's be honest. I'm never going to take the time. Putting all the little dots on the pointillism buddy that we're trying to put together here in second grade. You did it. No one's going to tell. Fuck you. It's mine now. Yeah. Would you rather put 10,000 hours into becoming an artist or, or a few ha- hundred hours into getting swole? <laughs> yeah. And beating up that artist. Uh, in this case, swole means uh, financially. Uh, but yeah, we're yeah, doing. is financially cut. They are. Uh, where's the gun show, Peter? Yeah, uh, and they're, and they're it's at Epcot. Are, it, yeah, their cum gutters are Star, are Star Wars. <laughs> Lately, <laughs> oh, our cum, I guess cum gutters are good, but it never feels good to say it. Um, oh because no, it's I I almost gagged a little bit when I said it. Yeah, because I mean the gutters on your house are like necessary. But they also are filled with trash. I need to get my gutters clean because uh, before, like, the deluge of 
of leaves oh. fall from the tree here in uh, upcoming. Well, now it's like winter, but when we're recording this, it's about it's autumn um, or fall, as some people would say. Uh, and uh, yeah, so the gutters are like necessary, but I, I they're kind of dirty and gross. They're a necessary evil, whereas cum gutters are, I guess, dirty and gross and a necessary evil. <laughs> I guess they are, I, they are a necessary evil. Yeah, because where else are you going to gut your cum? Um, let's 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 move on. I think. Yeah, Do you want to move on? Move in we, right along. We haven't even said what movie right is. We're, we're doing. And... Look, I don't think we're going to be telling tales out of school to say that we're doing. This is the best one that we're going to do this month. I think this is definitely the best movie that uh, Disney produced during this uh, this period that we're kind of covering 1989 to 1995, and that is uh, 1991's. Joe Johnston directed The Rocketeer. Uh, this was a success, but a mild success for them. Uh, much more critically acclaimed and beloved as opposed to uh, something that was a box office success. We'll probably talk a little bit about how there was. This was actually planned as a trilogy um, that never occurred until, much like last week, Peter, when we were talking about, oh, fuck, I guess they're making a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Rick Moranis is back. Uh, Did you know they're making a a sequel slash soft reboot of The Rocketeer as well? Uh, yes, they already made a cartoon version on Disney Plus. They did, which I haven't seen yet. Why well, should? It I mean, sounds I w- like they're kind of that was them kind of low key trying to you know test the waters for a, a, a broader kind of yeah. reboot. They're like these kids are watching uh, Harlan Williams, Rocket, Rocket Man, or Rocketeer. Well, he he created a television show called Puppy Dog Pals, and he's the voice of the inventor Bob. Uh, and it's just like the most generic piece of shit television show. But good um, for him, man. That's yeah, I mean, good for Harlan Williams. He's he's rolling in so much money because my kids have like I'm looking around the room I'm in and I see puppy dog pal shit. But yeah, I mean, if I I so I, my point is, I guess if we can't make the Rocketeer TV show succeed as a Disney Junior series or whatever on Disney Plus, uh, there's not going to be another movie because we made Puppy Dog Pals succeed. <laughs> yeah, uh, so go uh, the the nation's children puppy enthusiasts. So go the nation. Yeah, but like, dude, like they got Lion King, they got princess shit, they got. Uh, like interesting stuff, and then it's like here's two dogs, <laughs> but you know I, that gets that gets chosen in my house over Muppet Babies, Peter. I'm not bitter. Uh, Apparently, though, now uh, hating Nazis is and punching Nazis is uh, political. Um, yeah. And I just wish that you know uh, these movies <laughs> do you think get he so fights political. And you think that uh, you know if they rebooted Rocketeer with the um, the absolute cowardice of Disney as a corporation, um, do you think that he would uh, use his jetpack to uh, zip and glide and and beat a beat a plane, beat a car? He can beat a man on foot. He can beat a motorcycle just to get to the scene fast and see those Nazis and have a a dignified debate with them. Um, probably like. They would fight anarchists and Antifa, which I think our national media landscape has decided everyone hates. <laughs> yeah, uh, incorrect. Yeah. By the way, national media landscape. Yeah, incorrect. Look at look at uh look at polling numbers. Yeah, you, you are very much incorrect. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but so yeah, they did. I do you think he? First of all, do you think he fights Nazis in in uh 
in the Disney cartoon? Probably not, right? Maybe. The kid is in seven. I mean, the kid is seven years old. Kit second learns she is secretly next in line to become the Rocketeer. I gotta watch this with my kids. They'd love this shit. All right, so we're gonna. Unfortunately, I'm never gonna report back on it uh, for this show. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at the sequel. It's called The Rocketeers, and it is. Uh, oh, they're doing the Indiana Jones Kingdom of the Crystal Skull shit, where now it <laughs> takes place during the Cold War and they fight communists. <laughs> Told ya. Uh, That's basically the same. Yeah. Everyone hates communists. <sighs> anyway, uh, this is kind of normally the stuff that we do, Peter, at the end of the episode when we're running out of gas and material. But <laughs> obviously, we forgot to do our research. But just yeah, so the, out of the way. just getting it out of the way. Yeah, you want to hear us ramble and look up stuff right, right at the start when you're like getting hyped to listen to Pete and Aaron, uh, and then you hear them go, "Let me check. I think I heard about this somewhere." <laughs> we're basically Bobby Moyan's character on Weekend Update where he's like the guy that heard the news <laughs> he's sort of vaguely aware of what happened yeah which which in itself is a Jay Leno takeoff right like hear this <laughs> yeah, yeah you heard yeah. about this by the time this comes out we this news will be old hat but you hear about this you hear about this there's a guy he's at a LAX he wrote, he wrote the jetpack right past the American Airlines flight. You hear about this? You hear about this? It's like a, it's like a real life rocket. You hear about this guy? The, the guy, uh, the guy who's got a helmet. Uh, the, the, the people on board, they were so disturbed. They were so disturbed. You know what they, uh, you know what they, they said, you know why they were disturbed? Do you know? Do you, they, you know why they were disturbed? You're gonna say because they were down with the sickness, aren't you? Because, because they ate the food. The airline food is very bad. Oh, that airline works too. Food is very bad. Oh, airline food. You know what? You know what? It's worse. OJ Simpson's eating it. Who <laughs> <laughs> about this OJ guy? I like that our uh, Jay Leno impressions have become essentially Mickey Mouse after taking a bunch of cocaine. Because I imagine Jay Leno's comedy and Mickey Mouse on a bunch of cocaine is the same level of edginess. Uh-huh. You hear about this? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yuck. That's, that's Kevin Eubanks. <laughs> uh, anyways, we're doing The Rocketeer, uh, a beloved movie. I, Can I talk th- to you about Jim Morrison? <laughs> Wait, who's that? That's Mickey. That's Coke. That's Coke. Tell Mickey. Oh no! You got to go back to like the thirties. He's like Duke Ellington was the best. I met him in a club one day. I don't like all this rock and roll music. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> back when they called me Steamboat Willie. We know each other again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Calibrating. Back when they called me Steamboat Willie, I listened to Odell Jolson. He got a real bum rap because of the, you know, whole thing. But he he made some real music. Hear this? Hear about this? Uh, the kicked out the jazz singer off of the American Film Institute's Top 100 between their 1998 and 2008 list. Huh? What, the movie got worse? <laughs> Seems political to me. 
Well, I mean, he's basically Walt Disney, right? So yeah, it all yeah, works. yeah, it's true. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's so uh, this is a very like I'm gonna call it beloved many times. Like I'm, I'm some weird Gene Shalit, the beloved picture by families and audiences alike. Uh, the Rocketeer. Can you tell that we? This is the latest we've ever started recording. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're not gonna do this any justice. No justice, no peace for the Rocketeer. Um. <laughs> Maybe edit that out. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you're in. Can, can do. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this uh, this is the month that I saw all these in theaters. I, I was born in 1983. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out when I was six. This came out when I was eight. These were all like primetime Aaron, except the last one when I was kind of – it was both on a topic I was less interested in and a, I was aging out a little bit of like – uh, PG family action movies. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But I like I wanted to see this movie so bad, Peter, that I was eight years old, twenty nine years ago. I still remember where I was when my parents said uh, that that we were going to go see The Rocketeer that night. Like I was, we were. It was a Sunday. Uh, we were at a, a place called the Sandbar on the Missouri River, which we used to go to. We were swimming, and I remember my dad saying, "You know, maybe my my parents always they could never just like give us things that had to be part of a surprise. I think they liked whatever high that was by kids reacting to unexpected and sudden news." But I still remember them going like, "Yeah, I think after dinner tonight, why don't do you guys? I don't know, want to go see the Rocketeer?" And me being like, "You know, really." Like, you know, freaking out that we got to go see it. Uh, yeah. And we saw, we did see it that night. But, like, how crazy is that that I actually remember, like, where I was before I saw The Rocketeer and found out I was going to go see The Rocketeer? Yeah, that's really crazy, Grandpa. <laughs> and we had to walk 80 miles. <laughs> no, but it is it is it is kind of nice that you have like a specific memory from like the week this came out because we do so many genre movies from the like night back <laughs> we do so many genre movies from before 1990 that like they came out before I was born. Um, I had to watch them on video as yeah. like a fully cognizant adult. Like, it's kind of fun to watch some of the stuff that, like, you you were at least like, I want to see this thing. I'm prepared. Yeah, this, this I mean, thing. this is a movie designed still for... the excitement of a child. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie, it's like, it's designed for kids of all ages, Peter, which is a nice way to say also adults. But, you know, this is a movie uh, about a man, a superhero man, basically, in a rocket pack, uh... That seems right down the lane for an eight-year-old, and I just happened to be eight years old. So, it was like, holy shit, I need to see this movie. Now, having said that, I really liked it, but it did not become – it wasn't like a Jurassic Park or a Hook or a Ninja Turtles or something at that age when I was like, I need to go see this right – like, tomorrow. Can we see it tomorrow? Like, I I liked it, but um, I feel like – uh, I wanted more rocket shit. <laughs> like, like he wasn't. Yeah. I, I, I have, I have a very clear memory of him not using the jetpack enough, and like feeling like, oh, I loved all the part when he had the jetpack. What I would have liked is for all of it to be jetpack, because the part I'm most interested in, to be, I mean, just if like you made the movie, and I'm just giving you some constructive criticism and some feedback. Uh, the part I was most interested in was the jetpack. <laughs> Uh, and so it wasn't until I think maybe like high school or something where I watched it again. Uh, I don't think we ever, I never rented it. Um, 
And then I watched it like with through the eyes of like a teenager and was like, oh, this is like really good. Like, um, I like a lot of different things it's doing that I didn't pick up on. I didn't notice that they were using the jetpack. I wasn't I wasn't a single issue voter on jetpacks and movies. Um, and then it's kind of become a favorite ever since that, you know, At every time, like five. Like one of those you're like one of those people who talks about like uh, a gaming hours per dollar. Like you were like you were like. I was promised uh, a film about jetpacks, and uh, if we go to the tape, uh, you'll notice that there is a mere uh, 23 minutes of jetpackism in an uh, hour and 43 minute movie. Yeah. Uh, sir, can you uh, explain to uh, the rest of uh, the Congress, uh, these seven children who have abducted you and kept you in, the, in our garage, uh, why the film uh, contains so little uh, jetpackism? You know, it's like those people when Godzilla from 2014 came out. And they were like, Godzilla's only in it for nine minutes. They edited all the footage that shows Godzilla. <laughs> uh, and it, it's only nine minutes long. If I had been an insufferable asshole in, uh, and had access to video editing technology and the internet in, at eight years old, um, I could have seen myself being like, as you'll see in a movie called The Rocketeer, the rocket uh, that is tearing to his back has uh is only been used for 14 minutes and my second favorite uh my second issue voting is guns uh they've been used slightly more but not enough to really <laughs> to really uh, make honestly my entire campaign platform through the 92 uh election is uh is jetpacks guns uh 1992 any candidate that matches those two those two core platforms uh i will be voting for I, I feel like if you were which is and which is why hold on hook came out the next year a lot more guns a lot more flying so oh, yeah. so clearly uh my my wish to the hollywood gods was answered and i had a new favorite uh weapon slash uh flying movie to fall in love with um and, and you you were gravely disappointed by the flying nun so uh the the, the not I, by I, the amount of weapons because uh as you know the power of jesus christ is the most powerful weapon of all time that's true that's true um that's why we won the crusades and everything is fine in the middle east um so delete that and he wasn't on was our not side ironic enough uh <laughs> <laughs> the irony was not <laughs> thickly cut enough. Hey, um, oh, you're, well, we reframe me. You know that he said, Peter, that you could move mountains, which is why if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, which is why on a daily basis, the mountain configuration on this planet uh, changes. I feel like people could maybe be motivated to do cool shit with mountains, like have them be like flipped. I feel like even if that power was real, it's a very inconvenient power for everyone. Yeah. I oh, you like, you moved it? But like, what if someone... That's where most of our fresh water comes from. <laughs> what if the same amount of faith, uh, someone with the same amount of faith as you is like, I would prefer the mountain stay where it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or like, could you like heal the sick or something? Uh, are they sick of that mountain? <laughs> I was promised the specific mountain moving ability, and uh, I'd like to speak to your manager, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at, at first, when I gained faith the size of a mustard seed, I was under the impression that that was a metaphor as opposed to clearly outlining a one specific power I would have. Uh, <laughs> turns out it is, it's just the one power. 
Uh, do you think do you think the Pope is just God's manager so he, like he doesn't have to come down and mess with the riffraff hey uh they're they're all pretty angry about the mountain thing <laughs> <laughs> do you, I'm sorry like, any- like maybe we'll review corporate policy and like two or three millennia but right now the mustard seed thing our, our, our consumers are really looking forward to, to moving those mountains so uh you know maybe uh, oh, send out a pamphlet. People love pamphlets. <laughs> oh, they're they're pissed about that, huh? Can you just say that like the mustard seeds of the planet that that uh, myself and God are originally from are just bigger, like way <laughs> bigger? <laughs> yeah, on planet God, mustard seeds weigh uh, the size, weigh uh, uh, the, the amount as a Mack truck. <laughs> They're uh, basically kaiju's <laughs> that rampage cities. That's why you can move mountains; they crush them. <laughs> Honestly, uh, part of the reason I came to Earth was to escape mustard seeds. Yeah, planet God is no bueno. I looked it up on on our on the God's internet. I'm like, what's the planet with the smallest mustard seeds? Oh, Earth. I'm there. <laughs> uh, so I gotta say, but you had never seen right, you, You've got it. You've got. You've got a good point, though. Is that like in terms of minutes spent, this movie should not be called The Rocketeer. It should be called uh, The Jennifer Connelly Disappointer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he definitely disappoints her right up continuously. The it could also be the um, right up to the end of the movie, basically. It could be called the No One Wants Him to Use the Rocketeer. Because <laughs> it's, that was my, like, like again, this is an eight-year-old. Rocketeer, old... you really have to stop being a rocketeer. Oh, you, I thought we said you're putting it away. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm daddy rocketeer. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like. I'm Rocketeer's daddy. You could call me dad of Rocketeer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was something I did like. Like, again, I was promised. Like, no one spends all of Raiders of the Last Ark telling telling Indiana Jones, maybe don't be a whatever, a raider. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, And so, like, as an, as an eight-year-old, again, it's not that I walked away disliking the movie. I didn't. Uh, I liked it. I liked seeing movies. There was cool stuff in it. But, like, the last thing I wanted was someone going, can you just stop being a superhero? Just go back to being a shitty boyfriend and uh, a, uh unclear level of ability pilot because we only see you crash. Like, everyone keeps saying you're good, but, like, we have no evidence. What's on screen is canon, and uh, I haven't seen any evidence whatsoever. Isn't it amazing, though, that we as a culture have just accepted – that okay superhero movies are, are are you know are bread and butter everything is a fucking superhero movie i got halfway through the old guard yesterday the like charlie's throne movie when i yeah. realized i was like eh, by the way good movie but i got halfway through and i realized i was like oh shit this got greenlit because somebody said uh yeah uh it's a superhero movie too because they have superpowers and like some netflix execs eyes lit up like movies just get greenlit on these premises it is amazing that literally every superhero movie that's not like Thor three um, is based in the premise. I should maybe stop doing the cool thing that everyone came to, to see me do. Do you guys want me to stop doing like it, it's a uh, it, it, it's like um, 
That's why Spider-Man 3 was so annoying. Like, there's a lot of things wrong with that movie. But, like, we went through Spider-Man 2 of him losing faith in the idea of being Spider-Man and giving it up. And then Spider-Man 3 was like, what if he also wants to give it up? But this time, because he's a dick about it. And it's like, oh, can can I just watch him be Spider-Man? It's just a boring template, right? Yeah. Like, the idea of, like, uh, the, the, the idea that the, the, this person has uh, incredible power. We came to the movie to see him have incredible power. And uh, the movie has to constantly argue for its own existence. Like, uh, maybe I shouldn't be the uh, the uh, demurderizer anymore. <laughs> it seems to really make the murderers unhappy. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, demurderizer. You, you break my kid's bike? Yes, sir, but I was stopping a bunch of murders. That that kid, that kid wanted that bike every day. I told him <laughs> I'm going to go to my shop. I'm going to work 40 hours a week, sometimes 50. I'm going to try to save up and get you a bike. <laughs> and then you, the demurderizer, while stopping murders, accidentally broke over my kid's bike. Could your demurderizing powers get my kid a new bike? You basically are just just explaining in a wireframe that thing in the Avengers movies where Scarlet Witch or is Scarlet Witch? Is that the, the there's a Scarlet Witch? The, sure. There's also Scarlet she, Johansson. The, 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 Decide the, which the, one you mean. The third, the third uh, Olsen, the, the forbidden. Yeah. Olsen. Yeah. That's Scarlet Witch. Uh, Scarlet Witch. Uh, she like fails to stop a bad guy's grenade from blowing up some people or something that what you just described in wire. I know is exactly that conflict. <laughs> I know it's so dumb. And, and there's, there's two She's reasons. Like, I feel really bad that a bad guy threw a grenade at a crowd and I wasn't able to eat it. I don't know. <laughs> there's two reasons. I know. There's two reasons they use those things, right? Like, and they're both frustrating. And it was not to go back to what we just covered last month. It was uh, something I loved about Army of Darkness so much because, like, that was so refreshing to me because here was a guy who had a chainsaw arm and a shotgun and a car at a time when he wasn't supposed to have it and he did not give a shit about using any or all of it. Like, there wasn't some weird limitations that was placed on it by the movie because he shouldn't have them in the 14th century or stuff like that. And the reason for those limitations come down usually to two reasons. One is that they've created a superhero who, when they want them to be, is so fucking all-powerful that if they just keep letting them doing their stuff, they can't write a plot. It's we talk, We've talked about this on Star Trek before about how much um, our, our sideshow uh, that we released a bunch of episodes for in September, if you haven't checked it out. It's a lot of fun. But we talk about how so much of – there's a lot of Star Trek plots that – could be solved with a transporter and so what they they have to figure out a way to break the transporter in order to do whatever plot they want when that just feels incredibly unsatisfying and so that's a huge problem with superhero shit right like that is the superman problem is that how do you um have this guy who's essentially a god how do you give him antagonists how do you do these things and sometimes the way they solve that is the very unsatisfying like he doesn't want to use his powers anymore he doesn't want to use all his powers because he's afraid he's going to hurt someone and like that makes it complicated and the other reason they do that which I think actually applies more to, to the Rocketeer is because well we don't have the special effects or budget to have him f- uh, flying around in you know in a rocket pack for 90% of the movie. And so we have to be very intentional about when we use it. So I do I also think- like, imagine if in the middle of hard boiled Chow Yun Fat's like, 
I just don't know if I should um, shoot all these incredibly evil people with my twin Berettas right now. Like, I, I'm really good. I know I'm really good at shooting people with my twin Berettas. But, like, just imagine how insufferable it would be if in yeah. the middle of... Like, Every Bruce Lee movie, he's like, you know what? I'm going to try to talk this one out. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's just a plot that we've gotten used to. But, yep. like, it doesn't stand in, like, any other action movie genre. I like, know. It's it's frustrating and it's overused and it's overused in the same franchise. It's a Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. Uh, it's, and I think it's happened in all the – like Spider-Man, as far as I know, gives up his powers in every movie. Uh, even though I like the, the, the most recent ones, Homecoming and Far From Home and stuff, like I guarantee there's a moment where he's like, should I even be doing this? Um, uh, was Jay, and, sorry, was Jay Leno playing Spider-Man? You, you seen this? You heard about this? You, you about this? You about this? I, I'm, I, uh, I'm, uh, I got bit by a radioactive spider. I'm a Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, we truly, will never get to the movie. Uh, uh, but yeah, he's I, like, I, well, I where? Actually, how are you? Uh, how are you building all those web shooters, Jay? Not with my Tonight Show money, because <laughs> I never use it. I, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I just think that. I just think that this is one of those movies where I have so much fun watching it. Yeah, it's let's – well, a, hold on. Let's. A, I don't think we've said this yet. You yeah. somehow had never seen it, which yeah. is just okay, yeah. amazing to me. I had never seen it. And let me let me just throw myself out here. Um, I Good. loved it. Great. Uh, I loved it so much that I actually got a little annoyed at the end that this movie wasn't a bigger hit. Yeah. If only so that I could have had it as a kid because mm-hmm. I grew up in the youngest of four kids, a very small family, um, just based on the demographics of the two hosts of the, of the show. Yeah. Um, I guess our families average out to seven kids in each family. <laughs> <laughs> um, very small family of four. Um, and how how did you even uh uh, uh how did, how did you even live being so full from all the food you got to eat? <laughs> I bet I bet you got as many uh, bread rolls with dinner as you wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we actually uh we just filled up on so much uh bread and wine uh that we just rolled from place to place. It was actually really good for the fuel economy of the car. We were definitely one of those family where, like, there was a race for bread rolls and shit like that. And I was like, my mom's like, there's there's always more meatloaf and no one wants more meatloaf, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't I don't think this is actually something of – I think if you're in any family where it's more than one kid, this happens. But, like, be, I definitely blame the fact that, like, I'm permanently just 15 pounds heavier than I want to be on the fact that uh, I grew up as the baby and like if I didn't get in there fucking fast all the no. cheese pizza was going to be gone <laughs> like yeah, I, all the chicken wings were going to be gone all of the cake was going to be gone if I get, didn't get in there fucking fast because my siblings were merciless um, I mean my, my siblings would take food like you'd get food and you'd turn around and they would take it off your plate but uh, on the flip side imagine being like okay everyone in the family wants two bread rolls or something like that with dinner tonight, on average. So every meal, here's just a dinner. I have to make thirty bread rolls. Jesus Christ! It's too many. It's too many people. Yeah, it is too much. Um. So, so my point here's my top three siblings. I would eliminate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize this was a survivor for your family. I mean, I do like if I 
if I was forced to make a list, I could put one together. <laughs> There's enough that I feel comfortable saying that. My my family of four is just small enough that we rotate out who's who's the black sheep for a period of time. Everyone gets their turn. You usually we have don't two. Know the black sheep. No, see, we have two very specific ones. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. perma black sheep. They don't listen to this, so it's fine. That's great. Um, so my point was, um, not uh, justifying why I'm fat. Uh, my point was that <laughs> yeah, what was I point? was always. <laughs> my point was that uh, as the youngest, and it was five years older than me, seven years older than me, and ten years older than me. So everyone was like, there were there weren't like a lot of kids around. Everyone was like very much out of kitty mode by the time that I was, yeah. you know. Which is why you don't you don't like I stayed with kitty stuff for a long time because that was I didn't have older siblings that were like pushing me along and my parents weren't um uh pushing me along into much stuff either with the exception with an occasional exception here and there. So I probably stayed with like still being excited to go see like tall tale which we're going to end the month on when i was 12 years old even if i ultimately didn't like the movie all that much where you were like actively like i'm not a little kid yes exactly that just as shitty too um because i jumped basically from like teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 to like mel gibson's ransom great that was like (laughs) what what kid doesn't love ron howard's Ransom. That's such a specific. I, it's I mean, incredibly specific because I remember after that point, I I, I would use that and um, what's the one you love? Conspiracy theory. Oh, I yeah. use that and conspiracy theory because my family loved Mel well, Gibson very, at the time. There was yeah. always like Mel Gibson tapes floating around the house. Um, <laughs> there was I, there was in the mid two thousands as well. Yes, I. Uh, I, I, I used that as an excuse to watch stuff that was, like, more and more mature for what I should have been watching. You let me um, watch Ransom! And my whole family was sick to death of watching kitty shit, so, like, yeah. they were fine to, to do this with me. So, like, I didn't have a long period with this kind of movie, and this kind of movie doesn't really exist much. No. The PG, but, like, head on its shoulders... Not full of shit, very entertaining, a little bit adult so kids can feel like excited, like they're like they're they're you know, they're playing around with real real world themes, but not like this the stakes are not like Jennifer Connolly is actually going to get like assaulted. And like the Nazis are not actually going to like murder that entire diner full of people. Or the you know, the mafia is not gonna murder yeah. that whole diner full of people. Like the stakes are just low enough that it wouldn't terrify a kid, but just high enough that a kid feels this sense of like this is an adult piece of, of work. And the, the the genre is very small. The genre was well it's bigger now because of Marvel, but like the genre was essentially like Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were responsible for for most of those movies. And I basically I reached a point where and we talked about this before i reached a point where uh i would go to blockbuster with my dad and i'd just be like he'd be like well what do you you don't want to take anything home and be like okay and i'd go grab something he's like haven't you rented this movie like a hundred times and i was like yeah but 
nothing really looks good and you're not going to let me rent this. So like the, we, we would have these like kind of like, so I guess it's stripes again, but like I was fine with like having, yeah, I, yeah. I watched stripes a lot as a kid. Um, uh, Cause my parents forgot that that was the one with like boobs and stuff in it. No. Um, Everyone forgets the second half of that movie. Yeah. Uh, I think my parents only remember the second half where it's just like a kind of crappy action movie. Um, anyways, the, but that's the part with the boobs. Oh, I thought the boobs were, no, the boobs are in the first half. No, it's after they graduate and then they go to the house and that's how they meet those two and then they, those two are like. That's in the first half. No, it's in the second half of British. It's in the, it's in the second half. First half is all basic training. The third, oh, the third act is uh, them going to Europe and going on some sort of stupid adventure with that van. Yeah, but they meet the, the, they sleep with the women and the women have, we have the keys to the general's thing and that's how they yeah. steal the van yeah so my, my point here <coughs> is that my <laughs> your, your point fit, wasn't what happened in stripes my point was not <laughs> what happened in stripes a pretty shitty movie yeah. um the uh the point was that this movie is something that i would have loved to have gifted myself as like a eight-year-old because like i would have been absolutely obsessed with it would you and have uh, see uh, here's can i can i actually like because I saw it as an eight-year-old and I wasn't obsessed with it. Like, I got obsessed with it. And actually, I want to say this. Like, on the scale of – so, some of this is very much like – for me specifically, less for you, Peter, because I think you'd only seen one of these four. This is kind of a nostalgia check because with the exception of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I've seen all three of these movies multiple times. But most of them, not for a while. Three Musketeers and – Tall Tale, not since I literally was a kid, since around the time they came out, but I watched them a bunch during that time. And then Rocketeer more recently, but still probably like five or ten years. Like, so my what I have as my nostalgia rankings on Netflix when I just went rated everything that I could see uh, is always interesting to me to come back to on something like this. Uh, this is one that like I had it at four stars and I bumped it up. I actually, my, my theory on this movie is that and I, I think it's kind of what you were saying is it's actually not a movie for kids. I think Indiana Jones is more of a movie than an eight year old would love. I saw that around year nine and I loved it. It was obsessed with I it. I used to like it was like if it was like a, a sick day, I would literally we had a box set with all three of the movies. I would literally just like put Raiders on at seven thirty AM. Yeah. Just play Legos and and play through the day. And those are some of my like happiest childhood memories. Yeah, be, but I think what makes us different is that like that really is a while the Rocketeer is pulling from the same things, like that kind of, you know, 30s and 40s, like Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon serialization, like type stuff like that. Indiana Jones follows that template much closer than the Rocketeer. Like the Rocketeer feels like it just has like less a, con- a, a constant series of escape situations and more of a a few wonderfully executed set pieces. So I think for a child, like you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark every 10 minutes. Oh, there's a boulder. Oh, this is happening. Like, oh, the place is on fire. Like Rocketeer actually doesn't, doesn't really follow that template all that much. There's a lot of slow moments, a lot of discussions, a lot of things. It's great, but it doesn't follow that, that Indiana Jones serialization template i actually think that the perfect audience for this movie which is why i think it didn't do as well is um and that but but maybe finding more success now or in the idea of a sequel is for a 30 year old that wants to watch a kid movie like i actually think that is the audience where it's like hey i don't actually like i want to watch something that doesn't have 
Like, it just – that feels like something I used to watch as a kid in love. Like, I don't think this movie is for kids. I think this movie is for adults who want to watch something that they would have loved as a kid. I don't know if I'll ever – will be able to answer that question here. I mean, it's worth – it's well, no. a great question worth yeah. asking. I, I still feel like if you had gifted this to me as a kid, I would have been – I would have been obsessed with it. I would have been like, oh, this is like Indiana Jones, but not – um and well, i would you but do you think you would have had and i i mean i, know I loved I know, planes I know this, as a kid i loved like like i actually like was like a motorhead as a kid and like learned oh, all okay. about cars and planes and then now none of that is in my head so like the first half of the movie would have been great for me i loved like mobster stuff <sighs> all these sort of like old chicago crime stories made me obsessed with uh you know organized crime like a decade before i ever saw goodfellas um and then that combined with uh like indiana jones style like guy punching out nazis getting onto airplane blimps uh literally murdering murdering people at times like all that stuff would have been very much much candy for me as a kid but you're right there's a second half of this which is that this is not necessarily a film for kid kids this is kind of similar to certain joe dante movies this is kind of uh a a a boomer looking back at a generation that they weren't really part of with like a great degree of nostalgia a very great degree of like heroic nostalgia like joe johnson um who directed this and he directed um Kids, but more importantly, he directed Captain America. Yeah. And uh, he, well, he wasn't really part of that generation. Um, he, he, he didn't grow up during World War II. He didn't grow up during the 30s. Like he, uh, but he had, he grew up with people like uh, older people in his life talking about the, the 30s and talking about what it was like to be in America when everyone, you know, it's sort of the, the, the narrative that, you know, everyone decided like, yeah, we got to do something about this Hitler guy. Like Rocketeer and Captain America come from the same, the same sort of uh, stock, that mm-hmm. same sort of idea that uh, if, if uh, American heroicism is something that can like change the world, all you need is a good a good solid American boy and you can save the world. Yeah. Um, and that like the American ideal is something to return to, which is, yeah, I think that's a hundred percent right. Like that. I, that nostalgia for a generation you're not a part of is just a hundred percent. Like the, what is happening here and what, what happened, I think in a lot of movies, um, even, you know, Spielberg too. We talked about him with, you know, raise the lost ark and stuff like that. Like he wasn't, but I mean, I guess possibly he was. I think he was born in the fifties, right? Like it, but you you get it. Like you hear all those stories. Like even though, like I'm a child of the eighties, adult eighties culture and stuff that was important to adults of the eighty, like Reagan and stuff like that. And it's stuff that I've, like, learned vicariously after. And a lot of the pop culture that was 80s, like, is something that I've later on in my life, like, attached myself to as I've learned what it was like. And then you do have a little bit of that, man, that would have been cool, so cool to, like, hear these bands when they were, like, just out there making music. And even though I was alive, I wasn't alive in any sense that, like, the high moments of the 80s 
or like late seventies and stuff resonates with me personally, I might as well have not existed. And I'm sure you'll feel like, like I'm using music as an example, but like Peter, I know that you have an affinity for music of the eighties as an example, um, or like eighties type stuff. Uh, that that synthy that synthy yeah. texture is is very much my thing. Yeah, and I mean in the eighties I was listening to the Tickle Tune Typhoon, so it wasn't really as much on the cultural map. So even though I was alive, I had to like discover that and kind of be like, oh, this is my musical aesthetic. Um, and and I think like for them it wasn't a musical aesthetic they gravitate towards but an aesthetic of like what it means to be an american and especially easy at a time too when like like most of the 50s especially was like when they were in their kind of like prime kid time was like the rah 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 american stuff right like it's eisenhower it's america versus the communism it's it's um it doesn't get rightfully complicated with the everything that happened in the 60s and stuff like that. And so you just kind of have this like, America is great. There's America boys. These America boys went over there and kicked Nazis asses. And that's what it means to be a fucking American. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, and then you have and then there's some people like, you know, you have Oliver Stone that grew up a little bit later who's like what it means to be american like to have your government lie to you <laughs> so all of his, like all of his movies are like you know about the idea of the american hero as a as a farce yeah yeah and, and that's that's really true and like this sort of idealism um is rarely displayed i feel like on screen with um a this far away from from that kind of generation because um, there were tons of movies during World War II. Like we talk about, we, we've joked about this in the past. How there's like one pro Vietnam movie, <laughs> and it came out during the war, and John Wayne was in it, and John Wayne sucks. Um, leading up to the war and, and during the war, after the war, there were lots of like America has the what it takes to 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 do the right thing here. Like Casablanca is famously like a call mm-hmm. to arms, right? Yeah, it's kind of it's actually like. Uh, as you start realizing how much war movies about the war were being made during the war, it is actually, like, very bizarre to think about. Like, when you realize, like, when fucking To Be or Not To Be or The Great Dictator came out, you're like, oh, shit, like, they're making fun of Hitler to Hitler's face in the middle of a war with Hitler. It just, it feels a little bit, um, like, we finally did our, you know, making fun of, uh, Osama bin Laden in my generation, I guess, like, like years after there wasn't like a comedy that came out during the reconstruction of, or, you know, like, like five months after fucking nine 11, it's like, uh, you know, specifically about how Osama bin Laden sucks. Like, yeah. Yeah. From four lions, which was, a Oh yeah. Movie. Four lions was great. Like, Americans were not able to pull that together at all. Um, But even Four Lions was, like, 2008, 2009, which is, like, a lot of time to – still a lot of times to grapple with what was going on as opposed to, like – yeah, it's just – it's – it really is mind-boggling to realize how many of those World War II movies were made in the midst of World War II. Yeah, and so, like, the – so it's oddly enough, this movie, Indiana Jones – like uh, Flash Gordon. Movies are Flash Gordon. Um, 
this this movie was made sort of in a um not just a nostalgia for the era but nostalgia for films of the era because yeah. films of the era carried this sort of like gung-ho we're americans we can write this injustice we can do what what needs to be done kind of kind of attitude and like the thing is like before america was in the war formally um the uh, America was which took a while to, to, to Europe and mm-hmm. yeah, it took a long time. Uh, again, uh, FDR sent Jewish refugees back to Europe uh, preparing for war. We were sending supplies over to Europe like we were, we were but like we weren't formally in the war um, because it was a it was a, a political issue. Um, how much of this do we stay out of? And, do, you know, or is what they're, is, is what uh, Nazi Germany doing so bad? You know, this seems like a sort of an insular Europe issue. Maybe they can figure it out themselves. Like, which actually goes to one of the things they're parroting in this movie, which is Timothy Dalton's character, um, because there were a lot of people in the 30s who were uh, actors or famous people or rich people. Who were just yeah they were just pro Nazi. They were like prominent, no, we're prominent Americans, prominent Americans, famous Americans. That's that's also what uh, I think it's the plot against America is about. Yeah, like that we that you know we we look back at that time as like um, um, America or when I say look back, I mean like our own narrative of that time. It almost uh, expresses this idea of like. Um, a coalescing like force that everyone decided it was time for America to do something about it and uh, hoping that Europe could handle it itself. But you know what, when they couldn't, we had no choice, but like, yeah, uh, the, the, the anti-Nazi sentiment was like, uh, well, well, there was definitely bad polling for like intervention pre Pearl Harbor. Um, but more than that, like, you know, there was something like, I think like 30% of the country was like on Germany's side. Um, and so you did have these people like, uh, Charles Lindbergh and like these other people who were just like, yeah, I, we're trying to convince our government to support Germany in this, in this fight. Um, I wonder what party that would be nowadays. It's so confusing. Um, but, uh, and, and one of the parodies here is that like, so Errol Flynn. Yes. Who uh, was definitely a uh, his, his his legacy's been cleaned up a little bit by a Wait, lot of effort. Why is Errol Flynn not just named in this movie? <laughs> no, um, but um, you know, because that's what a lot of these guys had to do, right? Like post the post our intervention in World War Two, and then of course like the discovery of the um, the concentration camps and stuff like that. A lot of Americans were. Again, thirty percent supported the Nazi side, or something like that, in the thirties, or twenty-seven percent, or whatever it was. Yeah, so, Charles Lindbergh was was famously uh, outspoken in support of the Nazis. Like very famous Americans were like, "We shouldn't, we shouldn't do this." And then Hitler's stuff- just trying to clean up Germany. Like there was like there was a lot of that, but you but what happened, of course, is that like just like I imagine, there's going to be a lot of like. Uh, a, a rehabilitation of certain people that supported Trump over the last X amount of years. Um, there was a lot of people that did that. Some successfully, like Charles Lindbergh. They wasn't taught in my school that he was pro Hitler. Like you, I found that out later. Like he still is pretty good at like first flight. Please don't look into his voting record. Um, 
And then you had people yeah, like Errol Flynn, only, who may have actually been. You just said you're right. You're you're right. He begrudgingly supported the the U.S. in the war against uh, Germany after uh, his hands were tied uh, yeah. at Pearl Harbor, and uh, Germany had declared war. Yep. Um, and then there's people like Errol Flynn, who uh, you know was less of a concern because he didn't, you know, his acting career, like a lot of people, just didn't survive into into that late you know into the 40s and 50s that he was as much of a, a pressing concern but you know there is some insinuations he, there was, he was definitely pro-nazi and there are some insinuations that he may have been working with the nazis and trying to deliver them information um there's definitely a lot of people that did stuff like that in prominent positions and again because of our general narrative of america being anti-nazi and then eventually entering the war it's not stuff you hear about all that often just growing up or in your history textbooks and then there was a a, like you said peter a large campaign by the prominent people to clean that up as quickly as possible so that they weren't uh looked at as being on the wrong side of history even they knew that once we were at, at war proper but that was not going to fucking fly, right? Yeah. Fly uh, <laughs> because of Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> or Errol Flynn, who flew through the air. Who, uh, who uh, flew through the legal system to avoid his rape charges. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Errol Flynn was a, a clearly, as reading a little bit more, too, for this, huge piece of shit. Yeah, um, this, movie, but, this movie is very specifically about how Errol Flynn was uh, working, a, uh, a, a fascist and a monster and probably not an actual spy, but uh, definitely a Nazi supporter and uh, definitely somebody who didn't understand the concept of consent. Guess what? It still happened uh, recently. And this movie, this movie, uh, the, Timothy Dalton's character, um, there's lots of insinuations that Timothy Dalton's character is essentially like, yeah, he probably is pretty good at drugging women. He's probably pretty yeah. good at, at uh, you know, taking what, whatever he, he desires from women. Yeah, it's – I mean, I can understand why they didn't use his name um, just because – I can too. They um, also uh, – they blew him up with a jetpack. Is Yeah, they definitely are like, this is Errol Flynn. Like this is so Errol Flynn. Um, there's there's no um, there's no way it can be mistaken. But it is funny in a movie that does have another character in real life who they just use his name, which seems. I can you just do that? Like I, I I didn't I didn't take the time to research. But Howard Hughes is in this movie played by Terry O'Quinn. Uh, and well, you he's know ju- the Hughes estate would not have approved it, so it must be okay. Yeah, I guess you can just, like, oh, yeah, it's a parody, or it's a... I mean, I guess, like, they made that movie where Abraham Lincoln hunted vampires, I guess. I mean, is there a Lincoln estate? I mean, you're not insinuating it's a true... <laughs> I mean, like, you're not insinuating it's a true story, I guess. So, it is, like, that was something... Speaking of not for like that's that's kind of why I was saying a little bit this movie's for thirty year olds who want a movie for eight year olds, um, because like the fact that Howard Hughes is a huge part of this, and like is the one that everyone so like what eight year old knows who Howard Hughes? Is? Uh, none, none, zero point zero. But like this movie, it's not just a wink. Like the ending of this movie, which we'll talk about, is. Him being so excited that Howard Hughes approves of his flying, which is like his victorious moment, which 
Uh, yeah, I guess you can say, well, he got a plane. Any kid can understand he just got a free plane. But, I, like, the big part of it is, you know, as a kid, you're like, well, yeah, but he lost his jetpack. Um, as an adult, you're like, oh, yeah, like, his idol just gave him a plane. Yeah. And his idol yeah, was yeah. Howard Hughes, the plane guy. Plane Jane, as he was called. Um, wave of the future. Old piss jar. Uh, fan of movies. It would have been nice if they would have had, I guess a PG movie, it's hard to fit it in, but like, just just one cup of yellow stuff in the background of his office would have been nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, just so we know sir, you know, Joe. Sir, do you need me to send in the, the custodial staff? It, it, it just, it smells a little, it smells a little off in here. Are you Howard right? Hughes. Not a problem, and he just shoves a, a, a styrofoam cup of uh, of liquid right into the trash. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you this now, and then we we're kind of getting into movie stuff. We should transition, but as long as we're here, um, what did you start laughing out loud when you realized Howard Hughes was a big part of this movie? Uh, laughing a lot um, because he was a he was a famous um, he was a famous piss collector and <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I know neurotic person and like while it's not funny because he went through a horrific ordeal with his own brain um well that's not funny it is very funny to imagine this version of howard hughes just being like well kid uh it's been a long day designing jetpacks better go back to uh my uh my house and order forty thousand tons of ice cream um <laughs> uh, i'm not gonna eat even a gallon of it but uh you know that's what that's what's so funny about including him as a main character in this uh ostensibly uh movie made for kids it's like we're gonna focus on one specific aspect of howard hughes and only that one aspect it's got he's got this zippity doodah kind of quality which is very funny to me because this we're watching this after the aviator and all yep. of the, the subsequent well, people were like, you know, how much of that was true and how much of that was, you know, Hollywood gossip. And we found out like, oh, the aviator actually like cut out a lot of, of insane of the, of the Yeah, of the weirder stuff that. Yeah, because, because people. Yeah, it's because Scorsese had like he was like he kind of wanted to protect the dignity of Howard Hughes as much as he could. And, and he also like didn't think people would believe it. <laughs> Yes, it was. There was a combo of things, right? He like he he like loved Howard Hughes and thought he was like you know a, a genuine hero, but also like he the the, the, the tragedy of Howard Hughes, right? Like yeah. really dawned on him. Yeah. Um. But it's it is it is both like funny, but also like a guilty funny because like <laughs> as soon as as soon as he came on screen, I was like, is this? Is this going to get like, weird, or is he just going to be a straight-ahead hero? He's not bottling his piss yet, but do you think he's, like, looking at mason jars in the Sears catalog? Yeah, he's like, give me uh, give me this, uh, this, uh, this rocket pack. Oh, wait a second. I like this design. What if I <laughs> cut it You've in heard half? the story about him and ice cream, right? Yeah. He got really into so Howard Hughes uh, at had like a cup of like I don't remember if it was like pistachio ice cream or something. He was living in a hotel in Vegas for a period of time, and uh, he got uh, I think it was let's say it was uh, Rocky Road. I don't know what the actual flavor was. Um, so let's say he had a cup of it and he was like, "I love Rocky Road. It's my favorite ice cream." And he tells his staff, 
I want 90,000 gallons of Rocky Road, something ludicrous. <laughs> so they stock it. Uh, Howard Hughes, being the guy living in the penthouse of this fancy Las Vegas hotel and paying lots and lots of money, uh, especially for his staff to stay there. Uh, they they, they uh, put all of this ice cream in a freezer in the Las Vegas casino. He then decided, you know... I don't like that ice cream, and I, I, if you put it in front of me again, I, I will fire you. Uh, you you'll be you'll be terminated. Uh, so then the staff had to figure out what to do, and they sold it to the hotel for probably like fucking dirt prices, right? Because like yeah, what are you gonna do? And then that hotel made Rocky Road or pistachio or apricot ice cream or whatever. They made that their like. You get a free ice cream with your with your uh, with your blah blah blah. You get a free ice cream if you buy some chips or whatever for the next like year and a half. <laughs> so like that was the kind of guy Howard Hughes was. But also like I don't know if his later sort of degradation, his later sort of spiraling is probably the more uh, a polite or appropriate term. Uh, his sort of later spiraling uh, is actually like. I don't think it should take away from the fact that, like, he was a genuine American hero who was, like, trying to push whatever the fuck aviation could do at the time. And he was yeah, to push so it, it does do it does make time. sense for him to be in this in that role. And Terry O'Quinn's really great at playing him. So like, good. It's, Terry O'Quinn's great net and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, he is the... He, you know, even as an uh, adult knowing everything, it's like, oh, this is the perfect guy for this. Of course, he would be like both very anti-Nazi, anti-fascist um, and, uh, you know, working to figure out ways that uh, humans could take new ways into into the uh, into the atmosphere. So I think with that, Peter, let's get into the movie more. Are you ready to talk more about the Rocket Christmas Special. Uh, sorry, Rocketeer. I had it written down. Wrong. Uh, I, wa- I watched both just in case, though. some alternate taglines. I might. I've been, I've been actually working on this for a few years, so just on the off chance that we did the Rocketeer, I'm definitely not stalling for time, even though I'm the one that reminded you that this was my job to do, and I'm uh, really good yeah. about it. Yeah, I really, I really am glad that we're we've we've decided to continue doing this thing, and that you have prepared in advance. Um, so yeah, I mean, I wouldn't make you lines, do it multiple, all the time if multiple taglines that are good. Yeah, um, um, and, so, and the best thing about it is you're going to deliver it. It's just going to come out of your mouth. It's going to sound like you pre-prepared it, you wrote it ahead of time, and you you put the stamp of approval on it. Uh, yeah. So um, you know, while you know, without further ado, uh, you know, uh, while we're talking about this, like I'm yeah, you're actually all here. all this all this prep is really just getting in the way of me delivering these uh, zingers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, there's nothing I would love more than for you to. To give me the alternate tagline. Um, so while I'm just you know kind of talking about it, I, I'm, I'm you raring to go. Ready? You're still you're still yeah ready. Okay yeah. The Rocketeer. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man! I can only vamp so much. 
<laughs> I'm not Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> oh, because he was a he was a vampire. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Rocketeer. Once the guy go real fast? Yeah, Rocketeer. Gotta go fast. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I feel the, like I feel like The Rocketeer. Um, you know how much you liked Dick Tracy last year? How about <laughs> if how about if one of the henchmen accidentally fell out of that movie into this movie? It, it's not that people totally hated uh, big, uncomfortable to look at prosthetic jaws, and uh, the fact that the, that actor's voice has to be dubbed in because it's unintelligible through all the makeup. Uh, it's that they just wanted less than Dick Tracy. Just I like less. I like the idea that that guy did not get a part in Dick Tracy, and he's like, "Well, I'm not taking off the makeup." So <laughs> someone cast me in a fucking movie because this took uh, four hours to put on. Oh, Aaron, I'm seeing that's that's his, that guy's actual face. Oh no! Oh, it's like a, so he like got a, rejected from being in Dick Tracy yeah. from all those guys who had to put on prosthetic makeup to look like their face was run through a series of punching yeah. bags. He's he he actually like told his his agent like look. In the next James Bond movie. I'm the new Jaws. <laughs> I'm the new Richard Keel. And then, unfortunately, as everyone knows, from 1989 uh, to, to 1995, they didn't make a James Bond. It was the longest, one of the longest stretches of no Bond movies in the franchise history. And so, he had to settle for The Rocketeer. And then by the time GoldenEye came out, they're like, yeah, we're not really doing uh, Richard Keel stuff right now. Uh, check back later. And then, I don't know, he died. What a shame. So, uh, yeah. So, Aaron, I feel like maybe you could cue me up for something. Peter. I mean, you could have just started talking about it. We never really could have. Peter, why don't you tell us, like, what? We know there's a rocket. We know there's a tier. Tier one. <laughs> tier tier two. one imports. Tier. Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> this. Rocketeer was imported straight from the heartland of America to fight. Not actually, actually, wasn't. Hold on, wasn't it stolen from Germany in the movie? No, it wasn't stolen from Germany. It was developed by Howard Hughes, and Germany wanted to steal it. I thought that they had like a prototype or something. They had a shit version, and it wouldn't. Oh, that's right. Howard Hughes figured out the kink. Got it. You know what? It'd be helpful. Or actually, no, no, just... no, no. Hold on. Howard Hughes did not figure out. The did kink. not figure out the kink. He figured uh, out uh, kinks. Uh, uh, Alan, uh, you've got to have more, more, more tear in than rocket. That's what'll keep it uh, flying in the air and not exploding. <laughs> Alan Arkin's like, what if we uh, make it so the flame doesn't explode? <laughs> my ra- his, my own... his one word description is, "I put more metal in so the flame doesn't get everywhere." <laughs> like, my um, Alan Arkin. <laughs> Problem solver. My Alan Arkin impression is solely based on at the end of Santa Claus 3 when he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh that oh, makes you said, you Santa just, Claus makes so much more sense. Just completely bored. 
I'm just going, oh, yeah, you, I guess you're Santa Claus. I guess that makes me a Grandpa Claus. Ah, ah, I'm Alan Arkin. Like, my impression is solely based on an Alan Arkin who has on, honest question. eight minutes before seeing why, why not? It's already extremely late. We would have already said, oh, this is too late, and we need to wrap up under normal circumstances for recording. What's your favorite uh, Arkin impression? Or not impression, uh, performance. Oh jeez, it's. I mean, it's. This is a. This is a home. Like a, a really like over the plate one. But like him and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is one of those things. So the oh. first time I saw the movie, I was like, "Oh, that poor schmuck." And then the second time I watched it, I like it, the little things he would do would make me want to cry. Like the little pathetic things he does, where y- you can tell, like Jack uh, uh, Jack Lemon at least has the um, the the. Um, I don't know the the emotional cover of delusion. Alan Arkin seems to have accepted how shitty his lot in life is. Like he has <laughs> yeah. no delusion to protect him. And like little yeah. things he does in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, like ruin me. Yeah, mine's definitely Santa Claus Three. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, no, uh, it's it's oh it's, yeah yeah it's, it's Santa Claus Three. It's, it's Gross Point Blank. He's really good in Gross Point Blank. In, in a movie that is consistently hilarious, he is the funniest part. Like yeah. His his put upon under threat of death therapist half heartedly trying to help John Cusack, um, and never but never like tr- like he's only going through the motions that he's being forced to. He never like puts any effort into it besides trying to get him not to kill people. Uh, it's so good. He's so good it's like a board i guess i don't care if i get murdered but i don't really want to get murdered that would be a whole thing and sure yeah i don't know go yeah go talk to that person who cares i i I just i just love i just love alan arkin when he's one of those actors who (laughs) if he doesn't want to be in your movie it's very it improves the movie quite a bit it does um it's that's why it was so weird seeing catch 22 for the first time like five or ten years ago he's uh or whatever in it right that that character he's the main yeah he's so good in it but it is someone who imbues it with like He's not like uh, sardonic. He is like oh, he, I guess I'm in a catch twenty two. That's a that's a real. <laughs> oh, I'd really like to get out of the war, but uh, no, uh, like he is like he wants to get out of the bar. He's very it, like it's it's passionate, Alan Arkin, and it's a, it's it's great, but it is totally uh, uh, tonal. It's a tonal mind fuck if you are familiar with late era Alan Arkin more than early stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, He's yeah. What happens really- to the Rocketeer? Yeah, so what happens in the Rocketeer? Um, Joe Rocketeer, expert uh, pilot. Um, he is – what's his actual name? <laughs> uh, well, his actual name in real life is Bill Campbell, Billy Campbell. But who they the... basically decided he doesn't get to do movies after this, which seems like an odd choice. Uh, yeah, because usually when you're making a movie like this and the lead actor is clearly the reason that you know it sinks the movie – yeah, yeah, he shouldn't act anymore. Um, but you don't think he's good? Yeah, like, I actually Bill think Campbell, I think Billy Campbell is really good in this movie. I think he's really charming. Yeah, he is. I think he's really good, and he he Joe Johnson had to fight for him to be in the movie because the, he was kind of an unknown in the studio, didn't want him. And their thing was like him and the creator of the comic, who was actively involved throughout. Like they they wanted uh, Mike Eisner wanted him to have a spacesuit helmet, not the fucking cool ass Rocketeer. Like they had to fight so much, but they actually got. They say that they got what they wanted, but it was 
uh, it was not without constant fights with Disney and Michael Eisner, who had a bunch of fucking dumb ideas that they had to constantly like, okay, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll try to get that, that helmet design, but man, production schedule is really tight, but we'll see. How about, you know, we already created this one. How about we show you that and see if that, like, it was that kind of shit they had to do the whole time. But one of those fights was for, for Billy Campbell that they didn't want him. And Joe Johnson was like, not only is he the perfect, like, type of actor for this, like, he looks the part. And he, he's a gorgeous boy. He definitely looks the part. And he that has... American, yeah. like, square-jawed, you know, uh... uh getting by you know sort of fake it till you make it but he is trying really damn hard to that that kind of attitude is just perfect for the character he's he's so good and i will also say like he also delivers we'll we'll talk about the scene but like there's a few very funny moments and he's very funny in them I think he's. I think he's a pretty talented actor. I think he. I think um, he ended up being in a lot of TV series for like in the in the aughts and now. But like, man, like he just was not in movies after this. So what I'll say here, we'll pause real quickly. Yeah, this is a movie that um, I, you and I love cult movies. That's essentially what started this podcast. Is you and I like wanting to. Um, give our takes on movies that people had already decided were bad or, you know, let people know about these little gems that like maybe hadn't been heard of. But like, this is a movie that's a cult movie. It is beloved. Um, it is, but it was, it did not make money, like any money. It like, um, no, it broke, it essentially broke even. Like it didn't lose money, but it wasn't enough it, to get them see. It was, it cost 50 and it made 57, which with marketing probably means that it. Oh, I read 30 and 50. 30 to make 50 to uh, uh maybe that was domestic versus international regardless with marketing budgets of what they are yeah. like i i just i just don't think this movie did not make the money it, it, the risk no that's 100 percent true that anyone was um, yeah so the my point here is very often when we're watching these cult movies and you and i are in love with them <clears throat> i can see why a mainstream audience would be like nah i'm good or like i can see why people make fun of bram stoker's dracula let's say yeah um, even though the movie made money, but whatever. Uh, it's a movie that people make fun of now. Um, I can see why people would be like, this is ridiculous. <clears throat> this is a piece of shit. Um, despite the fact that I, gr- I disagree wholeheartedly. This is a movie where I'm like, there is literally nothing objectionable, objectionable about it. Like, no. It has every performance in the movie is charming and committed. Every actor in the movie is 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 there for the role. The movie is great to look at. The special mm-hmm. effects are phenomenal. Yeah, it it's it's by a talented director who at this point had a little bit of a pedigree behind him. Yep, like whoa, I I just, I just there's nothing. I, I I have absolutely no idea what what cost this movie. Um, big box office. Yeah, I I, I, I honestly think it just like. Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm taking my – I get it's totally subjective, but I think the fact that, like, I – I mean, I went and saw the Flintstones three times in theaters, Peter. Like, I was not clamoring to see this again. I didn't end up renting it as soon as it came out. Like, I just know how I was about movies that I was obsessed with or that, like, kids were talking about at the playground and, like, did you see that yet? And this just wasn't one of them. And I, I do think – that that's kind of why I have that an overreaching theory of like what this movie's for. It just wasn't enough of the serialization, whiz bang adventures, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It didn't have enough um, 
action sequences necessarily to have to have uh, eight year olds obsessed with it. And um, yeah, I, I, like that's the only thing because it was well reviewed. It it like it like we said it did okay. But I feel like the type of those like Honey I Shrunk the Kids was a was a movie that everyone talked about. People I saw it twice in theaters. Like you just had more obsessives as opposed to this one, which I feel like had people going, Yeah, that was good. And I, I think that was incorrect. Like I, I feel like I'm becoming more obsessive about this movie, but that's the only thing I can think of. I yeah, I can't come up with anything. Like we we did um The Matrix, which famously made all the money. And that would have been a movie where um, if that movie had bombed, I would have been like, yeah, you know, they, they coupled an expert action movie on top of their their crazy themes. But, you know, the Wachowskis, maybe they're too weird for the mainstream. Like, yeah, I, I, I would have gotten that uh, this movie. It must have been a timing thing. It must have been a cultural moment thing. I just I, I, I wasn't I, I was born in 1991, so I, I can't suss it out. Um, but regardless, here's what the movie's about. Uh, Cliff is a, a young airline pilot. He, he does a lot of uh, trick shows to make money with um, PV, uh, played by Alan Arkin. Sort of his, you know, father figure, his uh, fellow engineer. Um, he doesn't really fly the planes, but he, you know, fixes them up, gets them ready for shows. And they've been working on this crazy new um, crazy new beautiful plane together um, and so it goes out for its, its sort of a maiden voyage um, and he while he's out uh, he sees the FBI chasing um, some mobsters who have some uh, experimental uh, equipment in the back of their car uh, they happen to come back to the airfield. Uh, they shoot at the, the, the experimental plane. Cliff has to do a sort of crash landing on their, their prize sort of jet. Um, and so their, their kind of hopes and dreams are dashed here. This is something they've been working years on. Like they, they make their money off of flights. Like that's, that's how they keep their hangar. That's how they, they keep from, from starving. Um, so uh, the mobsters, one of them goes to, to prison, one of them dies in a fiery crash, but not before the one that goes to prison uh, hid the experimental jetpack uh, inside the garage and switched it for a vacuum um, before it landed in the, uh, the explosion. So the FBI basically says, like, oh, the experimental equipment, it was destroyed in the blast. We're, we're good to go. Let's go home. They leave uh, PV and uh, they leave PV and Cliff to their destitution. Um, but they realize uh, through sort of like the, you know, slightly contrived kind of plotting um, <laughs> how the gangsters get to the airfield, like... Uh, how there's a lot of bits of the plot that's a little bit of a contrived, but since it's a big adventure movie, you kind of just forgive it. But um, essentially, they at some point uh, a, a character is in their plane that they are trying to use for a show. It's their shitty plane. <laughs> They're like, "What's this rocket pack? I mean, what's this?" <laughs> and uh, they, uh, Cliff and PV, uh, have been experimenting with this jetpack that they found, and uh, they uh, essentially there's a moment arises where they need to go save uh, somebody who's trying to help them out by flying in their their clown show that they use to make money. Um, and they uh, was Cliff becomes sort of like a local or a national hero in the newspapers by saving 
uh, this th- their friend who was trying to fly the plane, um, but, you know, didn't know how it worked, and it's a crappy old plane, and yada yada. Uh, saves him. The crappy old plane crashes, but Cliff has to go on the run from both the mafia that's trying to recover the jetpack, secretly working for Timothy Dalton, who is secretly working for the Nazis. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're trying to get him. Uh, the FBI is trying to get it back, the jetpack back for Howard Hughes, uh, who uh, developed it as a, uh, a weapon for the coming war against the Nazis. The movie takes place in 1938, so we're not formally in the war, um, but we're about to be there. Um, we don't like Nazis. Time, at the same time, uh, a Nazi blimp, uh, because we're not technically at war with, with Nazi Germany, a Nazi blimp is driving, is flying across the country, sort of in a, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's a publicity tour, I don't know, what's, I don't know what, the, what they're up to. Um, the, the, Cliff goes on the run with the, the Rocketeer jet pack. At the same time, his girlfriend is being sort of seduced by Timothy Dalton. Who's, she's an extra the on the set of the movie, yeah. Yes. Uh, and he's seducing her because he knows that uh, Cliff has the jetpack or, you know, they somehow have access to that jetpack. And uh, he's trying to get access to it. So he, uh, Timothy Dalton kidnaps her. Um, Cliff... Uh, does his thing, fights some mobsters, um, and fights the uh, FBI. <laughs> goes to the FBI, uh, fights the FBI, uh, fights some mobsters. Uh, Timothy Dalton, the goons are going after him. A big, big, uh, I don't know, Nazi goon is also going after him. Not that important. Um, and uh, it it becomes on Cliff to. I mean, go it wouldn't save. be a Nazi movie if they didn't have goons. Yeah, you gotta have goons. I mean, essentially every Nazi is a goon, so you have to have a few notable goons to really, you know, fill out the stock. Uh, um, I just want to mention this in case you don't go back. The leader of the of the mob or the mob boss uh, is Paul Zervino. Oh, we're we're gonna come back to that because okay, he good. is so fun. Um, so so uh, they, uh, they they have a big fight at the end where um, Cliff has to go save the. Um, the he has to go save uh, Jennifer Connelly, uh, his girlfriend uh, from Timothy Dalton, um, and at uh, uh, Griffith, uh, Griffith Observatory um, at Griffith Park um, in L.A. And he uh, essentially he outs him as a Nazi to the mobsters. The mobsters turn on him. Um, then the mobsters well, and the, the mobsters yeah, team up with the FBI because they're like, whoa. Yeah. We yeah. we were trying to get money and cause death and destruction, but not for Nazis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're they're all American scum, right? There are there are there are scum. So uh, they uh, they join up to fight Timothy Dalton, who has called upon a bunch of fucking little Nazi crowd motherfuckers uh, to uh, attack um, via Zeppelin. And then there's a big show off. There's a big show off. There's a big. Um, not show off. What's the what's show the off? Ooh, I have a zeppelin. <laughs> Ooh, I got a zeppelin. There's one uh, thing that Germans love. It's Frank Stallone and Zeppelin. It's not. It's not really showing off the zeppelin. If the first thing everyone says it's a, it's is, don't a, a I think I think the word you're thinking of is explode. <laughs> yeah, I think the, no one fire at the zeppelin. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone I check think, out my zeppelin. Also, don't fire any guns at it. 
I think the word you're looking for is showdown. Showdown. Um, so uh, there's a showdown inside the Zeppelin where Mr. Rocket Man himself, uh, Elton John, uh, Cliff, uh, <laughs> Harlan, Harlan, uh, Harlan Williams, Williams. Uh, Mr. Rocket Man himself, Harlan Williams, uh, saves uh, his girlfriend, kills Timothy Dalton, and oh well, they have the whole the the whole thing where at one point during the first shootout when they have the when he's the Rocketeer, he gets a bullet hole in it, and they never get time to fix it so um alan arkin just puts gum on it and so the when he passes the the rocket pack to uh timothy dalton he uh strategically moves the gum off so the gas leaks everywhere yeah and like maybe i know why the movie failed and that's because we all know that you got to have a few foibles for your your main character but uh he's a shitty boyfriend anybody anybody yeah shitty boyfriend was enough anybody that's touched gum on public transportation or under a school desk or whatever can attest to this uh people that uh stick their gum wherever wherever they damn well please uh should be put to death um that's the only use I actually think uh, the death penalty should be used for. Yeah. Um, We need call. This is the only time you're allowed to call the cops. Yeah. It's sort of a compromised hero kind of situation where like, he's kind of a bad boy. This, this this movie kind of predicted, you know, uh, Tony Soprano and uh, breaking. Well, well actually, but it's, it's Arkin that's doing all the gum stuff. He just, to be fair in your analogy, uh, Cliff's the guy that takes the gum off. Yeah, but he, it was his gum. It was sticking his gum everywhere. Because uh, yeah, Alan Arkin's like, open your mouth. Oh, and he perfect. takes the gum out of Cliff's mouth. So Alan Arkin is is the Jesse in the situation. I No, well, I, I'm saying that I that Cliff is the Jesse. <laughs> because Cliff is the Jesse and Alan Arkin is the... Is, yeah, Walter White. Yeah. Do you know how much meth we can make with this jetpack? <laughs> oh, blue meth. <laughs> Get, uh, the meth is very here. good. You can tell it's very good because it's blue. Uh. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, Timothy Dalton dies. Uh, the jetpack is uh, exploded. And at the end of the movie, Mr. Uh, Rocket Man Harlan, El- Harlan Williams himself is rewarded with... Harlan Ellison. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I like that ending. Um, uh, Harlan Ellison's ideas took him to space and beyond. So, you know, in his own way, he was a rocket man. I didn't make a mistake. Um, Harlan Williams uh, himself is uh, <laughs> is awarded a fancy new plane. Um, and uh, Howard Hughes is like, I'm going to be keeping an eye on you, Mr. Rocket Guy. And he's like, actually, it's Rocketeer. <laughs> he, he doesn't do that. But that's the end of the film. And, well, hold on, in setting up for the sequels during the, uh, uh, Howard Hughes is kind of like, I'm fine, I'm glad everything was destroyed, it was a bad idea, uh, well, it's a great idea, peeing in cups, um, but Jennifer Connelly, (laughs) um, ended up, uh, getting the plans and shows it to Alan Arkin at the end, and Alan Arkin has all these ideas to how to build a an even better one. Um, which unfortunately, who knows if they did or not? I know we we beat the Nazis, so maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's such a it's such a fun zippy movie. I kind of want to get back to something we were talking about earlier, and then we can go from there. But um, 
there's a scene that you you didn't give short shrift to, but you didn't really describe too much. Was actually my favorite scene in the movie, uh, which is like one of two or one of three huge set pieces, which is the restaurant scene. Um, so essentially, uh, before everyone knows that Timothy Dalton's character is evil, uh, he takes out um, Jennifer Connelly on a date. Um, and Jennifer Connelly's like, yeah, my boyfriend sucks. He lies to me. He doesn't show up to stuff. Uh, but during this time, uh, Cliff learns that uh, uh, that uh, Timothy Dalton is uh, a Nazi and just wants and is only dating her to get at the Rocketeer. And this is after the air show stuff, after he's been in the papers. And so he goes there as a waiter, uh, kind of disguised himself as a waiter to try to get um, to interrupt their dinner uh, inconspicuously knowing that he's the person that Timothy Dalton's looking for. Um, and uh, that scene is that follows with the action scene where he's trapped in the restaurant, uses the rock pack, is all just fantastic. But it is like also where I think Billy Campbell gets to stretch some comedy chops a little bit as like the fake waiter who's trying to uh, get Jennifer Conley's attention. Um, but there's there's a moment that is one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's just it's it's a it's a reveal they do in so many superhero movies and it's always the same moment. It's usually a really great moment. It's the I'm Spider-Man. I'm actually Superman. I'm actually so and so. Here's my secret identity. And nine times out of ten, the character they're telling is either like, you know, all or not believing the person or like there's this. There's this reaction that you're supposed to feel as an audience. What like, what a great mo like climactic moment. You're telling X person that you're this superhero, and the moment here is so great because he's just like, okay, brace yourself. I'm the Rocketeer, and it's her reaction is I don't I can't think of another movie I've I'm sure there's other examples that I've seen this particular reveal in. Because she's been working all day and this just happened. Like, the paper was that that morning. So, she's like, who's the Rocketeer? Like, she doesn't know anything about – it's not that she doesn't uh, believe him. She's not aware of the superhero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I love that fact. And I think Jennifer Connelly is actually super charming in this movie. She's she, great, yeah. She, I, I've had some issues with Jennifer Connelly performances on the show, like Dark, uh, Dark City – uh, yeah, but I mean, your your monsterism towards Dark City is well documented. We don't need to rehash it. Uh, we needn't. Um, but my point is that I, I'm very mixed on Jennifer Connelly as a performer, and she navigates the 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 tone of this movie perfectly uh, and the mm -hmm. comedy of this movie perfectly. Like the Joe Johnson and her Joe Johnson and her like just. Uh, clicked or she just clicked with the script something happened where she is just like so funny when she needs to be she's very like charming and earnest and sweet when she needs to be and like as you pointed out like she, there's little moments like where she just doesn't she's like what the fuck is a rocket man <laughs> like, no. what the fuck's a rocketeer <laughs> like and that part of the movie it like plays as a pretty good gag because at this point you're like it, the, the movie has blown up to a world ending scale um, yeah and you don't know that she doesn't know but just the Who's the Rocketeer? Didn't you read the papers? I've been working all day. <laughs> yeah, like it's very, it's it. She's very, very charming in this movie, yeah. and like I, I, I actually really respect how. I really respect how this movie, um, finds space for her to be a hero in her own yeah. ways, um, as opposed to sidelining her again and again, which is like, 
especially if you're making a 1940s throwback, man. Like, yeah, you might be forgiven for doing uh, this character just to be a woman in peril. Right. Because like is like riffing on 1940s stuff. But like, yeah, the script instead veers uh, in an entirely different direction, which is to like make her just as much part of the heroism as uh, <laughs> as uh, Cliff himself, as the Rocketeer himself. So that part of the movie uh absolutely absolutely owns she's amazing in it and there's like a third act there's a crucial third act point where um she is timothy dalton is essentially like trying to seduce her and she plays along for a minute um very convincingly plays along for a minute just long enough to get information out of him and then bashes him over the head yeah Um, and like that moment is great because like honestly there's like I think like there's like one Indiana Jones uh, uh, heroine who who yeah. has that stature, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Karen Allen, and they did their best to make that uh, undo that in Crystal Skull. Uh, yeah, yeah, they uh, make her into a, they they wifeifies her. Yeah, what's the verb there? White wife wife domesticize. I think I just said Wi-Fi. Um, yeah, I think domesticize is probably the smarter way to go. Um, but they, they basically just make her into a, oh, well, isn't it nice to see Karen Allen <laughs> Look at again? this goof, yeah, it's like, look at this goofball. <laughs> um, as opposed well, to... Oh, anyways, anyways, back to Shia LaBeouf. You guys yeah. all love Shia Mutt! LaBeouf. Mutt's carrying this thing going forward, so I hope you're in. Uh, yeah, I, uh, also like what, uh, so... Hold on. Uh, so actually, I want to go back a little. So Dave Stevens is the person who created uh, the Rocketeer, um, who uh, unfortunately is no longer with us. He uh, died of leukemia in 2008. Uh, he created the comic book character in the 80s, was actively involved, as I mentioned, with uh, with this movie and the, the Art Deco style and everything that they wanted to do. And he was really proud. Uh, him and Joe Johnson were really proud of what they were able to get out of it. And I do think the design and the way everything looks it's just it's so perfect and like there is not that much ever in my entire life we're gonna talk about this with tall tale that has ever made me like feel a sense of american nationalism it's just for whatever reason for whatever reason like it it never has um hit me well um, and like, I'm not saying that as like the, I wasn't, I was against, uh, American nationalism before it was cool. I, maybe it was just a streak of anti-authoritarianism or, or reading or just being aware of a lot of the atrocities through my dad's love of history and stuff like that, that like, I always had a skeptical eye towards like, I thought the Pledge of Allegiance was stupid. I just have never felt that, like whatever it is. And I, I'm only saying that because there, you know, when a movie gets me, you know how you used to talk about like uh, that it took a lot for a movie to make you cry, and if a movie made you cry, um, you knew it was something special. Just like that was almost enough to make you go, "Hey, like this movie made me cry." And knowing how rare that was for you, it's not anymore. Now you're a weepy, weepy boy. Oh, um, I watched like Little Women yesterday and just bawled. I, I I suddenly got choked up and had a couple tears come out at the end of Tall Tale, which is not that good of a movie and did not earn it. But I'm I get a I'm a mess very quickly. But uh, so for me, that thing has always been like a I'm sense of like ten thousand hours of being a sad boy, and I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, you you're there. You're there. 
You might. Well, I'm interested. You, you're you're officially a, a weepy boy when it comes to oh, movies. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, you know, if anything, my sense of like patriotism has definitely gone down uh, over the last decade, and it wasn't there that much to begin with. So the fact that there's a shot right before he flies up to fucking fight the Nazis in the Hindenburg of 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 him in his full outfit which is amazing and comes straight from the comics with his helmet and then he has his gun and like there's a leaning american flag and he strikes this pose and is about to shoot up which is like the reason i'm specifically mentioning um the creator of the comic books is like that's straight from the comic books um it literally was like fuck yeah america you like it it hit me in a way that uh, that like rarely do movies <laughs> hit me that way, let alone in 2020. And like, it just speaks to how, um, the imagery of this movie and the way that it visually all fits together is like so impeccably, impeccably designed and, uh, really translates the source material that Dave Stevens put together. So, uh, so perfectly. Yeah, um, Joe Johnson uh, interpreted that, that that sort of visual language really well, and like the movie is like the the texture of the movie is perfect. Like it, it has that sort of uh, Americana, but that it, it has that sort of Americana um, texture, but without feeling cheap and hollow the way like yeah. God, well, sorry to go back to it, but Indiana Jones Four has where Indiana Jones Four is like. You remember the fifties, like that that that's that's sort of like hollowness, right? Like, hey, I saw Happy Days, and uh, that, that's all I got. Um, well, the Indiana Jones were less, I think, about like America exceptionalisms or some bullshit like that. But yeah, number four definitely doesn't endear you to it because the first part is is that they they bring him in, to, accusing him of potent like potentially being a communist spy he's like i fought in all the world war ii stuff he's like yeah but you like reading he's like yeah i i actually like killed a lot of the nazi high command yeah um like you, a you lot may of notice people- that they didn't have i don't know an arc <laughs> notice there was no immortal people from drinking out of oh what's that cup called oh the fucking holy grail <laughs> Well, I noticed you haven't been uh, killing many Nazis lately. Maybe you killed too many Nazis. You know whose enemies with the Nazis? Russia. Uh. This is a movie that did get him a job twenty years later, right? Like, and 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 not just for the the whiz bang like thirties forties action sequences. It's like, hey, you know what else we need? Patriotism. So why don't you, we need that plus patriotism? I don't know. Maybe you direct Captain America sent in the 40s. Yeah, I think uh, Joe Johnson did an expert job here because um, he, 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 he captured like a texture of the era, right? Like it wasn't it, – it's kind of fun because for a 1990s audience, it basically makes certain members of the audience say like my dad, my mom, my grandpa, my grandma. Like they lived an actual life back then. Like it kind of like takes you on a little bit of a time travel journey uh, because the world feels so lived in and so so um, believable. I actually – I like the Captain America, the first Avenger, but one of my problems with it is it's overly um, – it's overly stylized. The whole movie has this uh, Instagram filter on it that's like a little too much, and it actually makes it feel very comic booky. 
Um, yeah. Rocketeer has a yeah, much better aesthetic where it's very much like there's there's no digital, uh, um, you know, sort of uh, processing going on uh, mm-hmm. on the film grain to sort of make it feel like the 1940s. It's just like great set design. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's a problem with a lot of movies uh nowadays but yeah everyone saw oh brother where art thou and they were like you know if we want it to take place in a different time we could just paint it piss yellow you know that different times had different colorizations right yeah uh the 1980s were neon pink the 1970s piss brown 1960s uh piss yellow uh 1950s uh piss piss brown again 1940s piss beige more of a khaki um 1930s um piss gold so it was the did, roaring 20s did you read uh did you read calvin and Hobbes? no oh so there's a calvin and Hobbes. all of hollywood has become this but there's a calvin and Hobbes comic that um where calvin finds uh old black and white photos and calvin's dad spends a ton of time explaining to him that um that they're not black and white photos the world used to be in black and white. So those are color photos of a black and white world. And um, and I feel like all of Hollywood's like, yeah, that's what it used to look like because that's what our film looked like back then. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's a little strange that uh, Joe Johnson himself seemed to forget that lesson. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, if there's anything this podcast has talked about extensively that I think will always hold true is that um, uh, some directors' instincts are less good instincts and more technological or budgetary limitations. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I uh, I like... Um, I like so- movie... I like movie. No, good. I was gonna. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Too late. Um, <laughs> I know you're just ramping up. I understand. I'm ramping up. I'm ramping up, Peter. Let me get my rev on. It's like the first time when you put on the rocket and the rocketeer, like it blows up the dummy. It takes a few times before Cliff lands safely. Me saying anything is exactly like the entire arc of operating the rocket in the rocketeer. It's thematically appropriate. Uh, what I was going to say is that uh, it's so fucking se- – so Timothy Dalton is a sneering villain in this, oh, and great. which refreshingly sneering. There's there's no layers. He only gets progressively more evil as uh, as the movie – or like the depths of his uh, his evilness gets revealed more and more until at the end he's literally speaking with a, with a German accent, which is – you know, it, which is the ultimate form of evil. Uh, that you can be. Um, so there's something so satisfying about how, like, it was obvious foreshadowing. Like, it's it's the crossing the streams, Deus Ex Machina, you know, uh, of of having the hole that's gonna like. Oh, thank God you noticed that, or else you would have blown up. Here, let me put this gum on here. Like, very obvious. Him passing the rocket pack to Timothy Dalton, and then uh, I said subtly earlier. It's not subtle clearly zoom in moving the gum off uh, and handing it to Timothy Dalton would feel a little bit obvious if it wasn't so fucking satisfying (laughs) to have uh, Timothy Dalton sneering at everyone in his German accent wishing them all uh, a good death 
and how little he cares about them. And then knowing just for so long that you're going to blow up, you motherfucker. Like, it's so good. It's so satisfying to have that much, like, you, you, like it's, it's one of the few times that it's okay that the audience is way in on it early because you're just like, yeah, dude, you're going to fly out of there and you're going to blow the fuck up because you've sucked this whole time and I can't wait to see you blow up. And then the explosion and his reaction is is perfect. Yeah, yeah. He he uh I I love the moment when he just like rips the mask off and he's like doing a German accent now, deal with it. Because it is it is very much like he's like, eh, well, you know I'm a Nazi, whatever. Uh that the, the sort of like pride that comes with that is yeah. uh is what makes the performance. He's prideful in everything he does. He's mad when his plan isn't going to fruition. Uh, he'll kill you just for looking at him funny or doubting his his master stroke. Like he's uh he's got that Errol Flynn energy where uh just this sort of uh cocksure, <laughs> overly ambitious and uh ultimately sadistic uh kind of cretin um who's using his good looks and his charm uh for true evil like timothy dalton is like you're right like mustache twirling villain i need absolutely no space for yeah uh, humanizing or empathizing i i need none you know it revs you up to be uh to for him to be exploded which is like you're not like oh phew it saves the day it's obvious there's also there's a part of the movie that got a huge guffaw for me which is the part where he's like sneering about like you don't you know I hired the best Zeppelin pilot in the world and like through the the quick fight that ensues immediately after the Zeppelin pilot uh, falls out the window of the Zeppelin <laughs> uh, which is a great bit of uh, physical comedy although a lot of people fall out those windows I gotta tell you. Like, I don't know if uh, a better form of windows were, just weren't around in Zeppelin times, but man, they need to make those. Those are like breakaway glass they got there. Yeah. All the windows break and people keep falling out the fucking Zeppelin. It just it's, it's a very gentle plan. I mean, to be honest, um, it's the sort of uh, it's the sort of structure where if literally anybody so much as lights a cigarette the whole thing is going up in a massive fireball so to be clear as this movie points out at a time where planes were very much a thing yeah i mean zeppelins are are dope right they're cool to look at but like i don't know if i necessarily want to be in one you know yeah uh, although this movie, the the last little moment I'll just talk about, because the, the, there's a lot of good around the set pieces, but like the three main set pieces, which is him saving the clown uh, at the clown show <laughs> um, and his first like use of being the rocketeer, the whole restaurant sequence and then the final Zeppelin battle and everything that kind of leads up to it are just masterful. Like it, it doesn't have the, as I've said, every 10 minutes there's an action sequence or an escape that needs to happen. But the set pieces are like long and luxurious and a bunch of things happen in them. And they're they're just fantastic. The ending of the Zeppelin thing where they're on the top of the Zeppelin with that one goon, the Jaws, Richard Keel type goon, Dick Tracy goon, and are running forwards as each individual section, uh, section of the uh, Zeppelin explodes like straight up behind them. Uh, like it's a like it's a video game floor disappearing as they run as fast as they can towards the camera. Like I've never seen anything like that. That is so goddamn good. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. The the technical prowess that's on, that's on display here is, uh, is is just wonderful. So like, this is one of those movies that's very limber. Like, it can move yeah. quickly between like cool little character moment and then straight back to an action scene, and it doesn't feel any sort of disconnect. Um, which is, uh, I think, the sign of like an expert action director um, is is not whether or not you can uh, you know wow us with a few big uh, set pieces. It's whether or not like when those set pieces cut back to actors, are we still connected to the actors, right? Like, yeah. and and the scene you were just talking about, like I'm, I'm still still very connected to what's going on, and there's lots of space for us to to sort of. Um, there's lots of space for us to like still stay in Cliff's head because Cliff is like a fun, charming, like young presence. Like I didn't get annoyed with Cliff the whole time we were watching this, Com- uh, especially compared to um, D'Artagnan in Three Musketeers, which, um, which you'll hear about next week. Yeah, yeah. Do you um, think uh, Rocketeer would be better if uh, that's hold on? I want to pause that. We're going to talk a lot about Chris O'Donnell next week and how terrible he is in Three Musketeers and probably everything else. I haven't seen everything, but the examples that come to mind are up there. Um, how unfair is it that Chris O'Donnell was at least somewhat of a movie star throughout all of the 90s and fucking uh, – I was about to say Billy Connolly, but that's a different guy. Uh, Billy Campbell here disappears until like prestige TV comes out. Like, fuck that, Hollywood. He's, first of all, Billy Campbell better looking than Chris O'Donnell. Not to, like, uh, that's a weird thing to all of a sudden start doing on our show. But, like, it doesn't make any sense that Chris O'Donnell just kept kept being a star. And and Billy Conley, or fucking A, Billy Campbell went away forever. I'm not going to name, I mean, other than Chris O'Donnell, I'm not going to name actors that he should have had the career of, but um, this is just this is just one of those movies that, like, if it had hit at the right cultural moment. Chris O'Donnell. It, it's Chris O'Donnell. Um, yeah. If this movie had hit at the right cultural moment, like, <laughs> just, I, I, he would have Hold on, does that make that and forever any weirder? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what Billy Campbell's career would have actually been, right? Like, he would have had maybe – if he was lucky, he would have had a Val Kilmer sort of rise for a few years where he played, like, big action stars. Um, and then he would have probably made, like, a zillion dollars as, like – for, like, uh, CSI Sacramento or whatever. Like, he would have been – he would have been uh, the, the on one of those cop shows and made a zillion dollars like Lawrence Fishburne and all those guys uh, – I can see him as like, uh, yeah, like, um, like I could see him starring in Stephen Summers' The Mummy. Like, not that I would replace Brendan Fraser with him, but like, I think, I think that that's the career that if they would have kept making these kind of action movies, um, I think he could have been the lead in a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. We don't know how flexible of an actor he is, but like, I think the Mummy is a good call out because that's like, you know, a laser it's same targeted. hair. That's what I'm thinking of. I think. Yeah, it's, it's the same sort of hair. It's the same era, um, more or less. Um, I, 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 I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I think I think he would have been great in that kind of movie. I also think like we don't know what these actors are capable of when they're not really given a shot to spread their wings. Uh, so what? Yeah, we can go. Let's. Uh, what are your final thoughts on your first time watch of The Rocketeer? Um, yeah, I, I I really loved it. It was. This is probably the. Uh, this is one of the first movies in a long time we've watched where I've been like, this is an instant classic and like this movie, yeah, sorry, it's an instant classic that I will rewatch. 
Like yeah. I will, I will, I get in the mood for like kind of adventurism um, where I'm like, the world is not doing great. I need to feel a sense of like fleeting, bopping around adventurism. And like once a year I watch, I have a, a, a jag where I watch like the Stephen Summers, the mummy. I watch uh, the Indiana Jones movies. I watch movies in that sort of, that sort of mold. Um, both the Hellboy movies kind of fit that bill for me too, though they're, you know, kind of veering in a little bit of a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this is this this should probably get in the mix. This was really really fun. And like the fact that I, I I'm still pretty uh, um, I, I have still pretty strange feelings about Disney Plus. Like it's obviously like an amazing consumer um, uh, consumer product. I, I have some strange feelings about like Disney entering into this market at more of like a you know uh, industry wide level. Um, but it is kind of amazing that like. On, if if you know us and other podcasts and other reviewers are like, hey, you have a Disney Plus account, you should watch The Rocketeer. Like <laughs> we that like uh, this this cult movie could uh, become sort of part of the cultural lexicon. This movie that bombed, uh, you know, thirty years ago could become a, a bigger cultural artifact. And like the way, uh, and, and, and in a sense, it's already a cultural artifact that's notable because. Uh, there was a recent incident where a um, a guy flew a jetpack near an airliner, <laughs> and everyone's reference was the Rocketeer. Everyone's reference was the Rocketeer, even though like there's other jetpack stuff. Um, jetpacks are not exclusive to the Rocketeer, but everyone's okay, reference three was three other jetpack properties. Um, Jetpack Janet, um, huge, Mm. huge star of the jetpack scene. She is, she's jetting. She's packing. Well, because she needs to pack extra fuel so her jetpack doesn't run out of fuel, obviously. And she's Janet, so she's a a reasonable, reasonable kind of person, you know? Is it the Janet from The Good Place? Yeah, she has a jetpack in that show. I don't know if you've seen it before, but she has a jetpack in the show. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I only season, watch the season. uncut DVD versions that are mostly jetpacks. <laughs> <laughs> season two. To episode. be fair, there are jetpacks in that. Remember, like, and the like first season, they all get jetpacks. Two, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, so I I would say uh, I would say it, it, it's fun to it's fun to have this movie. It would have been even more fun if we got like a, a little like trilogy or uh, yeah, you know, at least at least one sequel. Um, yeah, there's a lot of table setting to him. Again, as an eight year old, I noticed very much how much table setting it was to like, just gets to be the fucking Rocketeer. So I'm sure I would have loved a sequel even more. I mean, that's true of most superhero origin movies, right? The second ones, a lot of times, were uh, better and more fun because they don't need to deal with like. Can I be a Rocketeer? This could have been a Hellboy 2 or whatever kind of situation where um, let's shuck off uh, the the fact that the audience needs an entry point into this and just get right to craziness. Um, yeah. Like there's a lot of sequels that are like, all right, you guys know what the deal is. Like you're here for the sequel. Like let's let's get into it. Like there's no more intro. There's no intro classes anymore. This is Hellboy yeah. 201. Um that 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 kind of that kind attendance of will to, be mandatory. That kind of approach to this would be really cool. Like I don't know if we would send him to Europe to become like a spy with the jetpack. Like I don't know if he would have taken on other threats. Um, but like it, 
it would have been it would have been it would have been a really cool thing to see them at least try um unless this yeah. was the unless this was the era of of disney's thinking where they're like well it's a sequel so we give them half as much money right that's how the math works mm-hmm. um it's gonna make it that in which case i'm money. happy it's just the one movie pretty soon it's like superman 4 special effects yeah, like, why? I, I invented here. a new rocket that only hovers. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to see me uh, clearly uh, throwing punches while hanging on a single uh, str- a single uh, metal cord. <laughs> Look, I got to tell you, we went from Timothy Dalton as Errol Flynn to John Cryer as I think John Cryer. <laughs> it's a step <laughs> down is all I'm saying. Um, uh. Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I uh, yeah, sorry, Aaron. What are your your final thoughts? What no, as, as somebody who's watched this, movie, I don't know why you're like being so formal about this. I, I can just I jump in know, and man. give my final thoughts, Peter. I don't know. Anyway, um, it's good. Uh, no, I. Uh, it's actually like I said, it's a movie that uh, I always enjoyed, but just keeps getting better as I watch it. Like uh, it was good when I was eight. It was better when I was in high school. It was better when i was in college it was better when i was in my 20s and now that i'm in my like late 30s oh that sounds weird to say i don't know mid what's 37 peter is that mid or late it's late mid 30s oh it's not great either way uh but uh you're still in your mid 30s but you're on the tail end my friend yeah i I get like seven more months then i'm then i'm in my late 30s uh but uh yeah, it, it like it. It only is getting more and more like um, fun to watch and more enjoyable. Like it's 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 definitely like to use a really outworn expression, but it's one fifteen my time. Uh, it's aged like wine. Like it just keeps getting better. And even though I imagine I would have liked getting drunk when I was eight, um, I enjoy the taste of wine way more. Um, I didn't. I, not that I remember. I don't think I ever got drunk when I was eight. But, like, I probably would have enjoyed it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's Like, a being reason. eight is a little bit like being drunk anyway, so... I enjoyed when I, like, had a jolt cola and made me act fucking weird. So, I imagine getting drunk would have been fun. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a reason we don't give alcohol to children. Uh, and it's too much fun. Too good of a time. Yeah. You never get kids to stop drinking. That's basically what happens in high school and college, anyways. Yeah, you uh, give a you give a fifteen year old uh, a, a few Bud Light cruisers, and they're 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 cruising for the rest of their life. After the Seagram's wine cooler, um, I don't care about my acne anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's so much fun. I didn't end up showing this to Maya, who's six, as we're recording this because it it felt like it just um, it probably a couple years down the road that we you didn't talk about this. Like the violence is actually pretty direct. Like people get shot, I mean, people get stabbed. Like the violence in the movie is actually like pretty damn damn like uh direct for a movie like this oh it's it's not because of that i unfortunately have become one of those parents that if they're interested in i just let them watch it and hope hope it doesn't cause any damage um but i just i don't think she would be like into it i think there's too much like there's too much that you have to explain uh like who are the nazis and who are this stuff not that i'm unable to to have those conversations but it feels like um she just wouldn't get much out of it. So, like, after a couple of years of American history here, maybe third, fourth grade, I bet you'll, um, I bet you'll enjoy it anymore. Although, on the flip side, I, I, you know, there that Rocketeer TV show, 
is about a seven-year-old girl who I guess is now the Rocketeer. Uh, so maybe I should give that give that a whirl because I'm if she likes that, maybe the movie will have a clearer reference point of where it's coming from. And I, I'm saying this with a with a bit of knowledge because I did, as I was telling uh, Peter before in the green room, I did watch Tall Tale, which is our, we're covering in two weeks with her, uh, which is about Paul Bunyan, Pecosville, and John Henry. In the American West and the uh, expansion of railroads and and cars, all things she knew nothing about because she's you know just starting first grade this year. And God, what a nightmare <laughs> for me personally. Um, <laughs> ha- again, happy to assist. Not her fault. She doesn't understand any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, she. It was basically a ninety-seven minute uh, Q and A for me as the movie was happening about what the fuck any of this is and understandably so so uh probably the rocketeer would have fallen uh, in that bucket as well but peter speaking of where we're going after this uh we just couldn't stop talking about tears uh and sure there's one rocketeer but now we're going to uh disney's attempt to kind of get back to one of their core uh action money makers uh, for live action movies, which is let's adapt some classic literature. And they did that in 1993 with the three musketeers. Um, so what do you like better, rockets or musk? We'll find out next week with guest Rick Kelly. And then we're wrapping up the month, as alluded to multiple times now, because again, I just watched it tonight, uh, with Tall Tale, um, which has two separate – the actual subtitles is – the unbelievable uh, um, adventures of Pecos Bill. However, Disney Plus has decided to get rid of that subtitle and change it to the unbelievable adventure. Uh, so, uh, or just Tall Tale, which is about Pecos Bill, John Henry, and Paul Bunyan teaming up to save a kid's farm. It is basically like the original Avengers initiative, literally. Um, and, uh, yeah, which one do we? It's 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 all part of the downward trend after the peak of the Rocketeer. Which one will we like better? The answer may surprise you. Uh, that's all I got, Peter. Do you have anything to promote? Um, yeah, I have to promote the idea of rockets. We should put them all on our backs and ride high towards the heavens, away from this cursed earth. Allow me to welcome you to my special family uh if you come out to bryce canyon on uh september 7th 2020 uh you will be able to get a first class ticket on a rocket to the moon (laughs) where we will be the big cheese of the moon what the fuck are you talking about I'm, I'm, i'm inviting people to join my call aaron Oh, okay, great. Uh, well, you're doing a terrible job. That's why your call has never caught on. Yeah, so on September 7th, if you want to get on my rocket, uh, we will be in uh, Bryce Canyon in Utah. and uh, it, September 7th, 2021? You know 2020. when this airs, right? Yeah. Oh, so like the, the barrier to entry for your cult is being able to travel backwards in time. Yeah, yeah, because I will, I'll, I'll, be on the, I'll be on the moon by the time this comes out. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, that's all I got, Peter. Um, as always, I, I wish you could get on a rocket and blast off. But um, instead, we'll just talk to you next week. Good night. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next week, Aaron. And good night to you all.
My little rockets, rockets, and rocketeer rats. <laughs> Both ads, huh? I'm not interested in rocketeers. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh, we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron <laughs>